Chapter 1 of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Anamit. Go to this great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because it is wickedness and has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarnish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and himself for Tarnish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to its own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below, where he was laid down and fast in a deep sleep. And a certain, the captain went down to him and said, How can you be asleep? Get up and go call to your god. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this commodity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making us all this trouble? And then, what do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What are your people? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Mm-hmm. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault, and this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, saying, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So, yeah, that's the very first chapter of Jonah. And in 17 verses, a lot happens, right? So in 17 verses, we see God speak to Jonah, right? And what does Jonah do? He goes the other way. And he runs the other way. He gets on a boat, and he heads to Tarshish, which is the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. So we see Jonah hear from God. He runs from God. Um... And then as he's going in this complete opposite direct direction, God sends a storm. Um, and so Jonah gets thrown overboard, and then he's swallowed by a fish. And I was like, how it puts it, God provided a fish. God provided a fish to swallow Jonah. Um, so what's this about? What's this about that Jonah, who, it tells us he was a prophet, so he was one of God's guys. Um, but when God speaks to him, he goes the other way. Um, Like, part of it is Jonah had probably grown up hating the Assyrians and fearing them, um, because in his time, they were like a rising power in the world, and so his hatred at this point was so strong um, that he didn't want them to receive God's mercy, and he's actually afraid they would repent, and we'll see that later as we see what he says. Um, And I think it's interesting, because he's the one that's supposed to be God's man, right? But when he hears from God, he turns and he goes the other way. And when the storms come, where does it say he is? He's asleep. And the captain actually goes and he wakes him up. He's like, don't you know we're about to, like, drown? Um, He doesn't pray. He doesn't repent on the boat when he realizes it's his fault. Um, He doesn't ask God to calm the storm or anything. He just lets this crew, like, work their tail off to try and save their own lives, to try and save his life. So that's the picture of God's guy in this first chapter. Um... And that, to me, is like this huge contrast if we look at the sailors, right? Um, Because the sailors, 
The Bible tells us they're pagan, so that means they're not followers of the one true God, the Jonah serves. Um, but look at the things they do. When the storm comes, they cry out to their gods. So even though they don't know the one true God, they try, like they try prayer. They're like, man, like we need help. Um, they start throwing things overboard, and when they find out it's Jonah's fault, they still try and save him. Like when he says, yeah, this is all my fault, um, you should just throw me overboard. Like they, It says they work even harder, and they row even harder trying to save his life. And then when they finally throw him over, which was his idea, remember, it wasn't their idea, it was his idea to throw him over, um, they repent, and they offer God, the one true God, a sacrifice, and they vow to serve him, and then the sea becomes calm. And I just think, what a contrast. Because, like, why are these pagan sailors who know nothing about the one true God acting more righteous than God's man? Like, that shouldn't be, right? It should not be. Um, but often that's what happens. You know, sometimes when we're out on campus or we're out in the city doing things, you know, it's easy to find that the people that don't know God, that don't claim to be Christian, like, man... They can act really good, right? And then sometimes you run into somebody and, and they're like, well, I'm a Christian. But then the attitude that follows, man, it doesn't represent God at all. Um, and that should not be. That shouldn't be. Um, if we profess to follow God, we should, um, you know, actually follow him, right? We should actually reflect his character. Um, so as we talk tonight... Um, this is kind of the first point I want to suggest to you guys, and it's this. And this is the one that challenges me so much. It's that delayed obedience isn't obedience. Okay, delayed obedience isn't obedience. Um, and then to take it a step further, I was reading a commentary and it put it this way. Belligerent obedience isn't obedience. Right? And, and like, um, you know, sometimes... It's easy to be like, oh, you know, like I'm never belligerently obeying. You know, that would be a picture of like when my son or my daughter makes a big mess. Who's my daughter? My youngest one because she likes, she likes the toys. Right? Praise the Lord. She has an active imagination. But you guys at home, toys will be everywhere. Like everywhere. I'll say, Hannah, you need to pick up your toys. And she's like, ah, you know, because um, she just makes noises of um, like and, and so, like, uh, and I'm like, Hannah, you need to pick up your toys. And so, like, sometimes she'll get up or she'll look at me with, like, the mad face. Um, if you guys ever meet her, maybe you'll get to experience the mad face. It's, like, so terrifying but kind of adorable. Um, but she'll look at me with the mad face, and then she'll just start picking up the toys. And, and it's like, man, you know, in that moment as a mom, like, she is picking up the toys, but am I pleased? <laughs> Not really. Like, I'm like, this is not how I wanted this to go, you know? And, like, when she gets like that and she acts so bad and she picks up the toys, it's like, I can't even reward her for that because, man, her attitude is, is all wrong, you know? So that, to me, is kind of, like, a really cute picture of belligerent obedience. It looks way less cute on adults. Um, <laughs> way less cute. But when I think about delayed obedience, man, I think that convicts me. Because you guys, sometimes there's moments where it's like, it's just not convenient right now, you know? Or, man, that's uncomfortable, so I don't want to do it, you know? Or, or like, man, I just don't want to. Like, have you guys ever, just ever been there that, like, you know, you know, like, I should do this, but I don't want to. 
Um, and I think, so to share a story that kind of just made this, this really clear to me, and, and I think it was a time that I really realized, man, God, I've got to pay attention to my actions, is there was a night that we were out, we were going to dinner, and on the way into dinner, like a couple stopped us and, and said like, hey, do you have any money for food? And like in the moment, I'll be honest, I was just thinking like, man, I'm just trying to have a nice dinner. And, and I was just like, no, not right now. And I went in and it was like, as I went in to dinner and sat down, man, my heart was like, that wasn't, that wasn't just like rude, that was wrong. Like there's people sitting outside this restaurant, I think I was at Red Lobster, you know, so outside this really nice restaurant and like they don't have any food and I'm sitting in here eating like cheddar biscuits and about to, you know, like completely have what would be a feast for most people in the world. And they're out there and they have no food. And, and then it was like one of those things. So like you go out and you try and find them and you can't, right? Um, but, but it was one of those things that like in that moment, it was just like it sunk deep. And I was like, man, God, I don't ever want to be this person again. Um, and, and I think it's one of those things that even now, like if I have a moment and like I see somebody in need, like I have to stop and at least be like, do I have anything to help? You know, um, and sometimes it's like I literally don't have any way to help. Uh, but even then I have prayer, so I probably could at least offer that. And like there have definitely been times that like I've been stopped and, and I'm like, man, I don't have like any money. I don't have any snacks on me. Like, but can I pray for you? And and man, like I did that at a gas station once. There was a lady who like needed help and like she broke down because she's like, just nobody has cared. You know, and so like even in that moment I was like, man, God, you're good, you know? And then another person came up and was like, what's going on? And they, like, totally met the need. Um, and so it was kind of cool because, like, God ministered to the spiritual and the physical, right? But it was, like, in that situation, I think God did the thing in my heart where I was like, man, I don't ever want to come to that place where, like, I knowingly am just like, it'll be all right. You know, because that wasn't even one of those, like, I'll do it later. It was just like, it doesn't matter. And, like, you guys, man, my heart was so hard. I don't want to be like that. But I realize so many times in life, it's so easy to be like that. Um, so we'll go on. We'll continue to kind of talk about this. So in Jonah chapter 2, we see Jonah is in the belly of the fish that God provided to swallow him. Um, it says he's been there for three days and three nights. And then it says he prayed. And you know, there's not an exact timeline, but it's like, kind of implying that he sat in the fish for a really long time, and then he decided to pray. Um, and, and he prays, and then it tells us, you guys can read the prayer later, um, we're not, we're not going to go all the way into it, and it tells us the fish spit Jonah out onto the beach. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why these things captivate me, but like I kind of looked that up in the Hebrew, and the literal Hebrew word is the fish vomited. <laughs> out. Um, so I'm sure that that was a very pleasant experience for Jonah. I'm sure he just loved being in the belly of a fish and then like, and the fish is vomited out, or Jonah's vomited out. But being in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, it did give Jonah time to think. Um, and while this is gross, it's still a miracle, right? Because like, if you get swallowed by large aquatic sea animal 
and you're in there for three days and you survive, man, like, that's a miracle. And I think it's kind of interesting because um, Jesus, like, later in the New Testament, when he's questioned, and they say, show us a miracle. And they're demanding a miracle of Jesus. He says, the only miracle I'll show you is the sign of Jonah. And what he's talking about is the same as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so he's good as dead for three days and three nights. They're like Jesus, when he's crucified on the cross, he's, he's dead. And three days later is when he rises again. And so that's what he's talking about. And, and like, man, it's one of those things that to me, it's like Jonah ended up in the fish for disobedience, right? Jonah should not have been in the fish. If Jonah had obeyed, the fish would have never happened. But even that Jesus uses for his glory because he uses that to say, like, man, like Jonah was in the fish for three days. I'm going to be in the grave for three days, and then I'm going to rise again. And his disciples remembered that after he rose and after he defeated death and he defeated sin for us. They remembered that when he rose, and they're like, oh, that's what he meant. Um, but at the time, nobody knew what he meant. Um, and so God calls Jonah again. He's laying on this beach, probably covered in fish vomit, whatever that is like. And God calls him again. And in Jonah 3, 1 through 4, it says, The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. Can you guys imagine that? Like, what a cheery message. You finally, this is probably where we get, like, the belligerent obedience. Like, he finally obeys, and he's like, 40 days from now, y'all going to be destroyed. That's what he walks into this giant, this giant city and says. Um, but look at what the people do, because this is, like, another thing that amazes me in this book. The people do this. It says, the people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he threatened. Now, I don't know about you guys, um, but this passage is, like, both really neat and, like, really hilarious to me. Did you catch it? So, I promise I've studied the book of Jonah, like, a lot of times, and it was just this most recent time, these past few weeks, where I've been, like, looking back at it and, like, meditating through it that I caught this. But animals are wearing clothes here. Did you catch that? Like, that's a little bit funny, right? Like, the, the king is like, we're fasting, and the animals are fasting. We're putting on clothes of mourning, and we're putting them on the animals, too. And, and I think, like, that never stuck out to me. I looked it up in the original language. That's what it says. It's not a mistranslation, so it's like animals and clothes. Which, I think, as I was thinking about it and praying about it and meditating on it, I was like, that's hilarious. But I guess the thing is that God didn't find it hilarious in that sense. Um, because God sees these people 
and they genuinely are repenting to the point that they look ridiculous. Like that they're putting animals in clothes of mourning and they're repenting so genuinely that they don't care. They're just like, any sign we can give God that we are sorry, like we're giving it. Um, even animals in clothes. And so he looks at that and instead of seeing something ridiculous, he sees something that, that pleases him and he decides to relent. Um, and what's ironic here is Jonah, when he walks into the city, he says, 40 more days and the city will be destroyed. He didn't mention anything about mercy. Not one thing. But God saw that they were making a sincere change, so he relented. And it was like neat because like, he didn't say that God might relent. But they cried out to God. Um, and and like, the whole premise was just like, who can tell? Perhaps God won't destroy us. Um, but this passage and this whole interaction with God sending Jonah to Nineveh, it shows us this. It shows us that God has a heart for all nations to know him. God's intention all along was to bless his people who are Israel in the Old Testament so that through Israel he could be a blessing to every nation and every tribe and every tongue on the face of the earth. Um, the problem was at some point Israel forgot this and they came to a place where they didn't want to share the blessings of God. So one commentary says it this way. It said they had forgotten their original purpose as a nation to be a blessing to the rest of the world by sharing God's message with the other nations. Jonah thought that God should not freely give his salvation to a wicked pagan nation. But the purpose of God's judgment is correction, not revenge. He is always ready to show compassion to anyone willing to seek him. So you guys, God desires that all nations would come to know him. You know, every, every person that exists, like we talked about in week one, we're all made in God's image. So, like, he doesn't say, like, man, you can love the people like you. He doesn't say, man, you can love the people you're comfortable with. He doesn't say, man, you can love the people that look just like you do. No, like, if we're God's people, we're supposed to love indiscriminately. Love all the nations, that all the nations would know him. Um, and so, what's really interesting about this is, is we would say, if the book of Jonah stopped here, in chapter 3, we would say, like, Man, Jonah did it, right? Like, Jonah did it. He, he went the wrong way, but then, like, he got swallowed by the fish, and he was like, yeah, God, I was wrong. Hmm. And, and so he went, and he did the right thing, and the people repented, and they turned to God. Like, he did the right thing, and there was a natural revival, right? Like, and that's how we want the story to end, but that's not how it ends. We have one more chapter, and I think um, it reveals to us a lot because we see Jonah's heart in this. And it says this. It says, The change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? So you guys, this, like this part of the story of Jonah, this is where I get uncomfortable. This is where it gets uncomfortable for me. Because many of us, okay, like if you ask me, if you ask any of us, we would say, no, I'm not like Jonah. Like, I'm not going to sit there and, and, and be like, I'm like Jonah. We would agree that all people need to hear about Jesus probably, right? Um. 
we would never, most of us, profess, at least out loud, to hate any group of people so badly we would refuse to go to him, go to them, right? Like if somebody asks you and they're like, do you hate any group of people that you wouldn't tell them about Jesus? Your answer would probably be no. But then if we look at how we live functionally, if I look at how I live functionally, man, the reality is like, I don't go. We don't go. Right? Because the truth of it, is, <coughs> truth of it, of it is this. We say, well, if God called me to go, I would go. But the thing is, we have the Great Commission in Matthew 20, 19, where God says, go into all the world. He says we're supposed to go into all the world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, like, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? So that's like the, the right here, the next door, and the ends of the earth. God tells us we should go. And, and I think the interesting thing and the thing that's really easy to think is like, man, this is a call for like pastors and missionaries. So like Matt and Jackie, you should go, right? But at the point, of, I, mean, I mean, right? That's, it's what a lot of people think. But the thing is, at the point that Jesus said this, there weren't pastors. There weren't missionaries. There were just Christ followers. So what he meant is go. He didn't mean pastors go. He didn't mean missionaries go. It means special people that get, like, the special audible voice from God because they were on their knees one night saying, like, God, send me. You should go. Like, no, the call is go. Um, so we have the call, but we don't go. And this is what I mean. We don't talk to the person who sits next to us in class. We don't cross the room or the cafeteria or the gym to talk to that person that looks lonely talks to that person who looks like they might be an international student because, man, that might be uncomfortable. I don't know them. We don't stop and pray for the person who's sitting outside on the bench crying when we walk by. We don't go. And I think that's why Jonah challenges me so much because when I stop to look at his story, when I don't just like read through it, but I really stop and look at it and meditate on it, I realize I'm just like him and I don't want to be. Man, I don't want to be like him. Um, so this point in the story, Jonah has a pity party, which is, I don't know about you guys, but what I do when I don't get my way, I, I don't know that I would ever admit it usually, but, but since we're being around, um, he has a pity party in this passage we just read, and God levels him with one question. He says this, is it right for you to be angry about this? I don't know about you guys, but like, have you ever had a friend or, like, a parent or, or, like, professor, somebody that can, like, level you with one question? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Mine is sitting right there. <laughs> He's Matt. Um, and, and I think it's funny because, like, sometimes we, like, talk about it in life group. But Matt has this really, really special question that I'll ask you. If you start to have a pity party with him because he loves you and cares about you. But as he's listening, when you pause to take a breath, because he's really gentlemanly, he waits until you pause to take a breath. And, and then he's like, what did God say when you prayed about it? <laughs> and I'm always like, you know I didn't pray. <laughs> I'm talking like this. And he's like, oh. Like, he's not even like, go pray. He's just like, oh, you just, you just answered your own. Like, um, but yeah, but it's so funny because it's like now at this point I can start and I can just see the face and I'm like, I just need to, end. like, I just need to stop talking. I need to, you know, like, it's like, you're like, I'm going to just go to the bathroom, you know, like, go to the bathroom, like, stand in there and I'm like, God, I need to talk to you. Um, 
Because it's like, man, sometimes just one question can like be really sobering, right? And and that's what God does with Jonah here. He says, with one question, is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, again, we want the story to end. We're like, we want Jonah to be like, no, it's not, man, God, I'm sorry. But that's not what he does. <laughs> Let's look at what he does. It says, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So you guys, Jonah really doesn't get it. It says, and the Lord arranged for him a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun and eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Right? That sounds nice. Then it says, but God arranged for a worm. Same as he provided a big fish. God arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. Then God said to, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? So another question, right? We see the repetition. Um, yes, Jonah retorted, <laughs> even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Should I feel sorry? Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And um, I was looking at some commentary on this, and this is what I found. It said, Jonah was angry at the withering of the plant, but not over what could have happened to Nineveh. It said, most of us have pried at the death of a pet or when an object of sentimental value is broken, but have we cried over the fact that a friend does not know God? And man, you guys, when I read this, I thought about that. I was like, man, we do that. Like, man, it is so easy, like even in prayer, for me to talk to God about the things that make me uncomfortable, the things that I want or feel like I need. But it's like, am I spending time talking to him in prayer about the things that matter? Right? Yeah. And like, how many times am I genuinely upset when things don't go my way? When, like, what should really upset my heart is that, man, in this campus, like, how many people are living in spiritual darkness? Man, in the city, how many people are living in spiritual darkness? When I go to the grocery store and, like, the lady runs over my foot with the cart, because that happened earlier. Like, she might be in spiritual darkness, and, like, maybe I should care more about the lady than my foot, right? Um, and, but I think, like, in those moments, it's, like, so easy to turn inward when God's heart is, is so much through the Holy Spirit to teach us to focus outward and to focus on the people around us and just open our eyes and see, like, like man, the field is ripe for the harvest, but, like, the laborers are few. That's what it says in the gospel. Like, the field is ripe for the harvest. But, like, sometimes we're like, well, I don't see any harvest. Like, you know, like, I mean, God, if you want me to talk to that girl sitting over there across the Starbucks, just make her walk up to me. You know, and I'm like, no, obviously if she walks up to you, like, then God has spoken, right? And it's like, man, no. Like, you see that person sitting over there lonely? Like, it's like, we don't, we don't always need a divine word. We could just know, like, the right thing to do, like what Jesus would do if he was in the room, is he would see the lonely person, and he would 
go talk to them. We can tell because we have the story of the lady, uh, the woman at the well, where she's there alone in the middle of the day, and like he sees it and he goes to her, right? Um, so we do this. You guys, God is more merciful than we can imagine. He feels compassion for the people that we think do wrong, the people we want judged. He makes plans to bring them to himself. You know, but what is your attitude towards those who are especially wicked, right? Whatever, however you define wickedness, what is your attitude towards those people? Do you want them destroyed? Do you want them pushed away? You know, do you want them locked up? Or do you genuinely, genuinely wish they could experience God's mercy and forgiveness? You know, I think that's a sobering question. Because for Jonah, like, it wasn't one of those things where he was just like, oh, those people over there, I don't like them. No, this was like a nation that was coming and and they would fight against Israel. And so he grew up with a real hatred, and it was for a reason. But God was saying, like, even if you have that hatred for a reason... Like, even if you've lived in fear your entire life from these people, like, you still have to to care because they're made in my image and I want them to know me. Um, So our two main points were this. Delayed obedience is what? Is it obedience? No. No. Delayed obedience is not obedience. And God's heart is for every nation to hear about him and what he has done for us. Um, And now, like, that extends since we're in in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we're, we're supposed to tell every nation about Jesus, okay? So is the book of Jonah about reaching Jonah or Nineveh? Obviously about Nineveh, but I think it's kind of both, right? Because God reaches out to, to a whole nation, but he also is like, man, Jonah, <laughs> we need to work on you. Um, so I'm going to look at, like, one verse that we already read and just, like, talk about it for a second we'll pray. Um, but we're going to reread um, verse 4 to So chapter 4, verse 2. This is what Jonah said. He said, I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. You guys, he said it angry, but this is so true. This is so absolutely true. God's heart is for all people to know him, and he's loving and he's compassionate. And he's slow to anger. And that wasn't just then. Like, that's, like, from the beginning of time till the end of time. That is God's character. That he's slow to anger. That he's rich in love. That he's merciful and good to all. That is God's character. Okay, but what blows my mind about this verse is that at this point, Jonah is yelling this back at God. Like, he's yelling this at God, and it's not in a good way. It's as an insult, pretty much. And what blows my mind is this. Jonah knows the character of God. Like, he knows about God, right? If he can yell this at God, he knows the character of God. He's God's man. His job as a prophet is to know God and tell others what he says. But his heart is so wrong. And I think what um, haunts me about that is that we can know all about God. We can tell others. We can be doing things for God. Like, we can be living life for God. We can be, like, in ministry for God. And yet, our heart can be completely wrong. Because we see that in Jonah. And, like, that's kind of terrifying for me. Because it's like, man, I could be doing all the right things. 
and I can know all about God, like really know his character, really know him, and still my heart on the inside could be all wrong. Um, and so, you know, like my response to that is, is to turn around and pray like David did. In the Psalms where it says, God, search me and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And he says, see if there's anything offensive in me. And then lead me in the path of everlasting life. Which means, see if there's anything, like any of that nasty stuff, like Jonah. Like any of that hatred. See if there's anything like that in me. And then teach me to follow you. Um, and so, we're going to pray. And uh, we're going to pray for two things. And, and I'll kind of explain it and we'll pray. But the first thing is, maybe you're not living for God. Like, maybe as we're talking about this, you identify more with the people of Nineveh than with Jonah, and the Israelite, and, and you're like, man, I don't know God. I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. I haven't trusted him to be my Lord and my Savior. You know, I'm, I'm still um, in this lifestyle of doing things wrong, and I need to make Jesus my Savior. I need to transfer my trust from myself to him. And if that's you, we're going to pray, okay? And we're going to pray for that. And the second thing we're going to pray is maybe you're a Christian, but you realize that somewhere your heart is wrong. You know, maybe you're not completely like Jonah. Maybe you are. Um, but, like, maybe you're not completely like him, but you realize, like, man, there's some places in my heart um, that I really need God to fix. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to, like, explain it first just so this makes sense. We're going to pray. And then the band, we're just going to kind of start to play. And worship tonight is going to be a little bit more of a response to this than, than like a like stand up and get hype and enter in. And that's why we saved it for the end. And so we'll pray, but then as we start worship, if you feel like you just want to sit and like talk to the Lord um, or like have some time praying, like you can do that. And then if you're ready to move on, you can like stand up and start worshiping. Cool. This is like giving us time to process. Because I feel like sometimes when I hear a message like this, it's just like we pray and go. And um, I'm one of those people that needs to kind of sit and let it marinate and process and stuff. Um, So if you guys will bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. God, we just ask you that you would come tonight. You would have your way. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that you are loving. God, that you're compassionate and merciful. God, that you're slow to anger and rich in love. God, we thank you for that about yourself. And God, we just pray that you would teach us to know you more tonight.